not, but he mischievous and catch him by surprise like Christmases. Now that I got everybody watching like witnesses, this sketch art is sharp like Picasso with his vividness like Jada. It ain't no way they gon' pick it. I'm sick with it. They never repose like it was fitting in. Sick with it and never repose to be fitting in before switching. I would wish depth like many men. Still I've been here again and again, again and again, again and again. And all that we know is to win Yo, what's up? Back at it for another week. Episode 29. Bedroom Beethoven's. This is the podcast where I talk with music producers. We talk about life. We talk about struggles and successes. You know, the whole 10,000 hour journey thing. My guest this week is Bishop Nehru. You know who this guy is. No introduction needed. From doing an album with MF Doom to getting cosigns from Kendrick and Nas. Yada, yada, yada. Look, I, I don't like having to mention all the past accolades because I don't need all the name drops to let you know how dope my next guest is. We talk about something that I find fascinating because if you're a musician, you could do worse than having synesthesia, the difference that causes your brain to process sound as color, taste, or smell because Bishop has this multimodal experience when he chooses the choruses and bridges that are based on all of those connections that we can't see because I'm just a mortal man, an ordinary figure. Interviewing the MCs of Tomorrowland. It's what I do. My biggest fear is dying and then waking to be here. Trapped in the matrix with fakeness and the hate from my peers. Been feeling this for some years. It's sincere and never leaving. There's gotta be more than this because it's nothing new I'm seeing. I feel like I'm in a life loop. Dying and repeating on the edge of the borrow and just cruising for a reason. I'm trying to figure this out. So I'm finally leaving and really I ain't tweaking. I'm just seeking the meaning. Now I have to get the red tape out of the way because I need your support, guys. Visit the YouTube channel, show some love, comment, like, subscribe. BedroomBeethovens.com is the website. I built it for you, the listener, so you can see the episodes and listen there if you prefer. Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, I'm there. You can't miss me. And of course, the Patreon. It's the best, fastest, easiest way to support me financially so I can continue to do the show. And who knows? What if I could do this full time? I'd interview everybody. Watch and see. All the love is appreciated, and you know what? Even if you tune in and you don't do anything other than tuning in, I still got love for you. As always, I'm your host, Cello, and the Lamont Landers Band will tell you what podcast this is, in case you forgot. It's the Bedroom Beethoven Podcast. how much you made my day when you told me you heard of this podcast like what, what was the gateway was it because i had uh I, I know i interviewed lucas goodman and i know you had him on elevators was that kind of the bridge yeah, or? yeah that's my guy so um i had seen him i think it was on youtube as well i see uh, you, you know lucas you know he talked very fondly of new york he was he was telling me his father has like a trash vaudeville thrift clothing store you know it's it's rare that i talk with people who were born and raised in new york and don't think like all the people are dicks or they hate life like it's it's good creatively, and it's very diverse, but I guess it can be maddening from time to time. Yeah, you know. See, me, where, where I'm at, I'm not really in the city, so I'm, like, a little outside of the city. I'm, like, exit 14 across the TZ Bridge, so it's a little, like, 
I don't want to say different because I feel like New York is pretty universal. If you act one way in New York, you usually act that way just in general. Like a person from Harlem and Brooklyn may say two different things, but mindset wise, they pretty much, you know what I mean? Like act the same. And like the 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 ways that, I want to say like the things that we respect is kind of all the same. Like a, a big thing in like New York culture, like, is the word violated like people don't really like that's a, that's something that's like doesn't get taken lightly so if you get violated it's kind of like you know like somebody either did you dirty or something happened disrespectfully towards you i feel like that's one of those like things that's like kind of universal around everywhere in new york like what the term is a violation is it it, it like where i'm from is real you know it's not necessarily slower it, it, it is slower it's not as fast paced as the city we kind of just do the same things that was in the city. Because I was just living in Queens, actually, for a year. So pretty much how, what goes on out there was pretty much the same as, like, things I would expect from where I live in um, Rockland, where I grew up. I, I think for people who don't live in that area, like, I, I saw the tweet that you, you commented on where it was like, go commit suicide somewhere else. Like, <laughs> that, that's, like, my idea of New York, where it's just this... Oh. This hard shell where, like, you know, you're not going to get sympathy. Like, you know, fuck out of here. That, that video is actually <laughs> real funny. It's not funny. I, obviously, it's not like a, it's a serious situation. But that's, it, it's funny because, like, that's how it is. Like, niggas don't care. We got our own problems that we got to, that we trying to, you feel me, figure out and attend to. Which not may not necessarily be the best way to think, you know, for the overall being of humanity. But. That's how it is out here. Like that's honestly why I don't like it out here. I don't really. I mean, I like being from here. I would wouldn't rather be from anywhere else. I feel like we got the most charisma, best work ethic, all that. But I feel like it's a real uh, "I'm out for me" type of place, and people will do whatever they they got to do to get to where they want to be. Which ain't you know, it's not a bad thing. But when you uh, apply that to life. And just do it for these mundane purposes. It kind of, you know, for what what matters, it cancels that out. Things like respect and like honor and having a moral code. Certain things like that kind of get uh blocked out. The statement: if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere because you are on your own. But like, if people are familiar with your backstory, you were getting cosigns from like Kendrick and Nas. Basically, anyone who could make your stock go up in hip hop, you were kind of handed that baton. But you didn't spiral out on a drug fueled rampage or have any scandals. You know, you you handled it well. You seem grounded, and you're just kind of focused on living life and making music. As far as when, when you have success at a young age, yeah. that could be detrimental. You know, yeah. but you've you've handled it well. Yeah, well, honestly, for me, like I don't feel like I've reached the level of success I'm looking for. So that's why I keep, you know, grinding and striving for different things. Because I never really, um, like a lot of the things people be considering as success is success in their eyes, not really mine. So I just have a bunch of different, that's true. you know, type of, type of goals that I, I wish to achieve for myself. So I just really focus on the creative part of everything and making it the best that it could be. So, eventually when I do get to the point where I'm, where I feel like, all right, this is going to take me to the next level. It's not like it's foreign to me. Yeah. I I try to look at it that way too, because I I think uh, every journalist's knee jerk reaction, or if you're being interviewed is like, Oh, you know, Bishop, what are your inspirations? But when I look over your body of work, I think of it now like stamina. You're at your stage in the game. It's not about being inspired. It's more about having to build yourself up to it. You have to build a habit 
to override motivation. For, for example, like I've been a graphic designer for 13 years professionally. I don't need motivation anymore. So when I get to work, usually it's right. something I'm terrible at. Some, sometimes it's to revisit things and keep up on older skills I worked on. I had to bring in discipline instead of any kind of motivation and let discipline control the habit. Do you kind of operate that way as well? It's a little of both. Like I'll never sit here and like not write a song or make a beat because I feel like there's no inspiration. I feel like it's just at that point where I know like, all right, well, if I don't necessarily have an inspiration, let's just have fun with it. You know what I mean? Let's see what I'm in the mood for right now. And then I'll do that. So it's like, I, I, it, it's like 50, 50 with it being discipline and just inspiration because that's basically a lot of my, my music is based off of real life situations. There's like the handful of songs you could pick and just be like, all right, he's just having fun. So like, with that, it's like, I don't really know because I've never really been in a situation where I feel like I didn't have inspiration. There's people like like um, Satchmo, Louis Armstrong, that pretty much like, with, like, Louis Armstrong inspired me as far as music, like songwriting, because I watched something about him and they were saying how he could literally write a song about anything he had a a book where he just wrote songs every day about things that would affect him whether it was like a flower he's seen or something weird about a tree that inspired him a certain way or like he'd look at the sun and see something or just whatever you know what i mean and you could kind of hear that in what a wonderful world and i think to myself what a wonderful I kind of take a lot of inspiration from that. What a wonderful I feel like any anything is relatable, any situation. So if I see a tree and look at it a certain way, there's going to be someone who sees it the same way. I may look at the sky and say it's turquoise, and you may say it looks, you know, indigo. But there's always going to be someone who can relate to both colors. I feel like it's, it's, it's been to the point where I just have so much fun with it that I have disciplined myself to a certain extent as to like, all right, I'm going to do this today. I'm going to do this this way. I'm going to do that that way. But it's also uh, inspiration because I just write about whatever, whatever I'm feeling, whatever is around, whatever I can relate to. So, uh, We're in Doom because like, I'm a fan of, of Ghost Shrimp, the art, the vinyl, how it matched the green tin of the cover. It wasn't just a wham, bam, let's get it done. Visuals are really important for an artist because yeah. you can drop great music, but you don't, if you don't have that great artistry that accompanies it, whether that's for the visuals or whatnot, it limits you in what you can become. You become someone who has talent, right. but doesn't know how to exploit it properly. And I feel like you kind of nailed that aspect. Right. And uh, that's something that I've kind of always prided myself in because when I was first starting to make music it wasn't like I wasn't rapping at first I was writing songs I've always wrote songs I wrote songs since like second grade but it's pretty much like I I was more interested in producing and making a scene out of everything like a visual I'm pretty much one of those people that could like when they when I hear a certain sound or once I'm like done with the song I already see the vision for it you know what I mean so like most of the time I'm making on a beat, if I'm working on a beat, if I like the beat while I'm making it, I could pretty much already see the direction I'm taking it, like down to the detail of the, if it's a video about uh, me being, I guess, let's say happy in the moment or something or like venting, 
and I was like, let's say I see the video of me sitting in front of a tree with a pond, I'd be able to see that while I'm making the beat down to the detail of like which side of the tree I'm sitting on, what's in front of the tree. And like, I feel like that gives me a certain edge when creating because either way I, I look at it, I'm pretty much approaching it with an art like view. I don't really look at it just like, as like, all right, this is a song. It's like, nah, this is a whole, this is a moment that I want people to see. I want people to like, when they hear this song, be able to see what I'm seeing in my head, the visual I'm seeing in my head. So a lot of the times that's the approaches that I'm taking when I'm, you know, making the music. I already see everything. Love. There was a man, he was often alone, lost in his own thoughts, caught in a frivolous zone, feeling there's no home to go where he'll fit and no glow. So he stayed to himself as he said it in the stone. His heart, you couldn't claw, going toe to toe with a steel boot, showing all the courage that he It's just like, <laughs> honestly, it's just for me, it's more of just like venting. And that's just how I look at it, like from the whole, like all across the board, the cover art, um, song, production, the beat. Like sometimes I make beats that have their own message in it. Like you could listen to it. If I just put out the instrumental, you'd be able to listen to the beat and the sample and hear the sample saying something. It's that deep to me. It's that serious. Sometimes I tune the songs to different, like, all right, this is, this is pretty much a project I was working on where I put the whole thing in 432 hertz because that's a, a frequency that people say is more tuned to the earth the key of A. So 440 hertz is A, but on, it's not on the keyboard. There's no 440 hertz on the keyboard. When you click A on the piano, it's 432. But, but music that we put out now when we hear mainstream music is 440. So what I did was I tuned all my music to the A on the keyboard to 432 for a while just to, you know, like I, I'm, I take music that deep, that seriously. <laughs> you know what I mean? I experiment with it like that. I already know which lane I'm trying to take it to, like everything from the beginning of the whole process. No, I, I understand. In fact, you know, one of my favorite albums of 2018 was uh, Lenny Kravitz. Uh, he came out with an album called Raise Vibrations, and there were similarities on what you're describing. He said that he just started dreaming, and the music started coming out in his dreams, but he never really dreamt a whole album. But these tunes just started pouring out, and he just right. followed instructions. It was all about getting what was in his head, what he was hearing in his dreams, recorded as authentically as possible to what he was hearing subconsciously. If you wanna talk to me, know that I am plain to see. Yeah, yeah. Now for for anybody listening, think about that for a second. Right. Basically how you created elevators. There was no plan, there was no design, you had no idea how you were gonna do it. It, it you know, it just kinda came to you and, and maybe you're working on a spiritual level. That has to be almost the preferred method now. Like right. you don't have to like sit down to write. You can always wait until you hear something now and just let it come to you in dreams or maybe subconsciously, or you might just have an idea out of the blue and then you can mold it and work on it from there. Exactly. It's like for me, I have like synesthesia. So I could literally see sounds. You know what I mean? Like literally. Pharrell said he had that. Right. There's a lot of like people that have it that don't even say it. You know what I mean? Because they don't really know that it's something that you're supposed to have. Like, I didn't know that it was that serious until Pharrell said it. I didn't know that there was something that other people could do. I didn't even know it was something that people couldn't do. I thought, you know what I mean? I thought just that yeah. was what it was. But apparently, like, that's something that, like, a lot of um, painters, people in that nature, like Salvador Dali, Andy Warhol, people like that also had it as well. With me... 
the big thing with me when I'm like making, literally making sounds is like, I know if it's going to be yellow. I know if it's going to be green. I know if it's going to be a red type of, when I'm making the beat, it's just that much easier for me. <laughs> like my next, my next album is literally like the whole vibe. I intentionally made it black and white because I don't want no colors for this album. It's like the, the, the most, like with every album, what I usually do is I like, Overall, I'll think of a theme or something. You know what I mean? Like, all right, we'll keep it in this realm. Like, I want to make more songs. Like, if I was, let's say I'm just in love at the moment. All right, I'm going to make more a tape that's just about, conceptually, I'll come up with a concept. Like, say, all right, let's make this a love story about X, Y, Z. And then mm-hmm. what I'll do is, like, just just go off of that emotion. and just like, all right, this is an album about a love story. So any track that I'm making, any beat, whatever key it's in or whatever, once I'm like starting to arrange it, let's say I see the color purple, I'll continue to to make the beat. All right, this beat is purple. It's more of a like, and for me, when I see purple, purple in my mind is like, it's more. I know a lot of people associate purple with royalty, and you know things of that nature. But for me, when I get purple, it's more of like a cold, uh, indigo, like navy blue type of purple. You know what I mean? So I would take that purple and just go off of like, all right, this this purple is making me feel cold. It's not more of a bright purple. And it would, after, like, pretty much, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's just like I'll feel the lyrics off of that. Like, all right, it feels cold. This beat feels like a cold beat, so I'm going to make a, a song that's more about, like, it's not going to be a happy love song. Let's make this about overcoming the situation. Like, that's kind of how I look at everything musically with color. I think you're in luck because I do actually get what you mean because as, as a marketer and a designer in my day job, I want people to know that what you're saying is actually rooted in facts. When you go to McDonald's, it's not an accident that their colors are yellow and red. Yellow and red are supposed to be responses to make you hungry. It's supposed to make your appetite bigger. These aren't accidents when you see stuff like this. Yeah. And you know, what's kind of scary. I'll, I'll drill even deeper is that physicists have concluded that the universe is expanding 9% faster than it did in the past. Mm -hmm. And the point is not that the universe is expanding faster now than it was in the past. The point is that using data from the past does not agree with what we are observing today. So what that means is like this signals that we're missing something in our model of the universe. So crafting music from dreams, meditating, being one with a higher conscience, connecting colors to people. This shit is real. And this means that we will never be able to get data from the edges of the universe because of the time the light takes to get us and because it's traveling further away. So the idea of an infinite universe is equal parts amazing and terrifying. Right. All of this stuff connects. You know what I mean? And we're frequency. (laughs) You know what I was told like when I was reading? I used to read, like not even used to. I still do read a lot, but I used to read it before I was really knowledgeable on the stuff I was reading. And I read this book, and the guy in the book has said pretty much that we have a a self-defense system in our body that we may read something, but it will be so far-fetched and, like, far from our understanding at the time that we'll hear it and we'll be like, man, get out of here. Like, that's not true. Like, cut it out. You know what I mean? Like, 10 years ago, if somebody was to like was actually, like, a, a person who was into cell phones and designing them, and they were like, yo, I'm telling you, 10 years, they're going to have cell phones where you can look into the camera and you can take a picture of yourself. People would be like, man, get out of here. Like, what is this guy talking about? He's in that field, so he literally knows. He understands it. These other people aren't in that field, so they don't get it. 
And a lot of the time, like, that's what it is. Like, me and my friend were actually just talking about that. Like, we wish people everywhere could just understand to a certain level to where they read something and they just get it in the way they're supposed to get it. You know what I mean? Not necessarily for that time. But I just feel like all that stuff is like, everyone should know this. I feel like this is something that is a life-changing thing to know, that your frequency, that color is frequency, that sound is frequency, and that all three of these things <laughs> connect with each other. I mean, that's why I started this podcast, man, so I could get these unique things out into the universe in, in my own yeah. way. It's funny. It's, I've been on this... Uh, I've been on this late sixties kick lately. Cause I saw, I, I recently just saw once upon a time in Hollywood and I was like, wow, man, like what an era. So I've been, I've been like diving into that soundtrack and discovering things like stone soul picnic and Roy Ayers and all this shit. Cause it was, I realized he was a vibraphonist and it was in the late sixties and I like jazz. So I follow what blue note records does. And right now they're pushing a guy who's 23 years old and they're calling him the most thrilling new vibraphonist in America. And it's almost like 50 years later, they're trying to recapture a new audience with the same music that was dope in the late sixties. It's just cycles. It's crazy to me. And I feel like the, the funny part about it is like the stuff that actually sounds new and different is like getting shitted on. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, the stuff that they've never heard before is like, man, this shit is trash. What is this? Like, who? Yeah, it's like uh, Rick Ross just came out with a, a song with uh, Swiss Beats and Just Blaze, and it's like, you know, it's it's good, but it's like it's it's not reinventing the wheel. You know, Chris Brown and Drake are coming out with a song, or DJ Khaled, and you know, you're gonna get 80 million YouTube views the first day based on name recognition alone. Right. It's not really much about the art anymore. Right. There was a time where I found myself feeling like it was my responsibility to make like classic sounding tracks because that's what the old people or like the older heads like nah like even when they were making music the old people before them or the old heads before them were saying what are you doing like this is not what you're supposed to do so if you just listen like while obviously it's good to get guidance from people um if you just listen to someone about what you want to do creatively you're never gonna have your own creative mind and that's like that was one of the things like if if i was still thinking like how i was thinking back when I was like working with uh mass appeal and like young and 16 and just in my, my, uh, you know, rapping lyrical mind, I would have never made projects like magic 19 to me. That's one of my like favorite projects of mine, magic 19, because just because of the concept of it, I like a lot. I feel like it was something I did on my own. I didn't have no like label behind me. There was no, you know, all this stuff I did by myself, but I feel like this one, I mixed it. You know what I mean? Like it just felt like me. The first like the first project that I really got to do just with me and no ears on me since like Aruvia. So when I did that, it was like, all right, this is a dope project. And projects like that would have never happened if I had never adjusted to, you know, trying to 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 further my craft, to make it sound like something different rather than something that we've already heard 10 years ago, just now. I know you gave Nas like a few beats years and years ago, and then the Lost Tapes 2 came out. Were you were you kind of hopeful that maybe he would have unearthed something? Because I'm sure he didn't, um, you know, consult every producer, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, not really. I, honestly, I wasn't expecting it because <laughs> I know the Lost Tapes be having like Pete Rock and uh, Primo be having people like that on there. So I wasn't, I wasn't going, you know, play myself and be like, I'm supposed to be on the tape. You feel me? But I definitely would have, it would have been dope. Not going to act like it wouldn't have been, but nah, I would. I wasn't like tripping off it. Like, oh, like you didn't put me on the tape. Surprise. 
I wasn't surprised <laughs> at all. You feel me? <laughs> like, well, I'm letting you know if I saw you next to a primo track, I'm not going to be like, why is he on it? You, you wouldn't have been like the standout, like you didn't belong there. Right. You know, I know you're being humble, but I wouldn't have thought you'd be the odd man out. I think you deserve to be on there. No, nah, weird. I appreciate that. But I don't know. Maybe you just got to like tap in, get something done per, like in person more rather than just sending beats over. I don't know. I still got some like fire beats for him. I got beats for everybody, honestly, bro. It's like, <laughs> it's hilarious. I got beats for the team. Yeah, I want people to know that you were a producer first and then like a lyricist second. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, man. It's very annoying that like, I feel like I got the Kanye problem. I feel like I don't like, I feel like people do know that. And that's why like, they just want me to rap boom bap. You feel me? Because if people looked at me as, the, as like, well, I guess you're kind of right too. Because if people did look at me as a producer, they would accept all aspects of what I do more, I feel like. But I feel like if I, I don't know, I definitely was a producer first. And it's more like for me, it's fun to produce and just make different sounds. So it gets real annoying to get like put in that boom bat box. Because it's like, man, I've been producing first. The first type of beats I was making wasn't even boom bat beats. <laughs> I used to not know how to make boom bat beats. It was the, the, the last thing I knew, like learned to do was to make boom bap and like sample. Sampling used to be the hardest shit ever for me. I used to be able to make a beat from scratch. Easy, like no problem. But if I needed to sample or like chop a sample or loop a sample, I used to like not be able to do it. So what I did was I forced myself to learn how to do it and I started to make boom bap projects. That's and it just so happens that the lyrical stuff like popped off. But all this time where like all this stuff was really happening, I was just trying to learn different things. It wasn't really like I was planning to drop and blow up. So it was just weird. Well, how does the like the modern day stuff like, you know, I don't really resonate with like the Me Too and the Black Lives Matter because everyone has a voice on social media. Facebook creates millions of armchair experts and, and want to be lawyers that want to voice their opinions on things. It's almost like an echo chamber. And it's not about like hating America. It's about acknowledging that, you know, certain demographics, they just don't get treated well no matter how rich they are or how successful. Like if I get pulled over in London, my first thought isn't I'm going to die. However, in America... That might be my first thought. People that, you know, have never experienced racism, they love to argue about it. It's like a man arguing about women's rights or experiences. I mean, let's take the Aesop Rocky situation. Do you think that's racial? I don't think that's, I I mean, yeah. I I don't really feel it's a race thing. I think it's just just because he's an American. (laughs) So they try to make an example out of him as an American. And the fact that he's black probably does have something to do with it, making it worse. But I, I think like, I've been to Sweden, so like I know how they are out there. Like it's a very, it's one of the most peaceful countries in the world. I think they're looking at it like stuff like this doesn't happen with our citizens. So why should we accept it from someone who's not even from here? At the, mm, so it's more just like a, just an American bro, thing. Americans are hated everywhere. Like by the people, by the people we're respected, <laughs> but by like the government and things like that, they don't like Americans. They feel like we're like, bro. When I go to countries and I travel, I have tats, I have tattoos, so. When I go to countries and travel, they look at me crazy. Like <laughs> when I'm in, like when I was in China's airport, bro, it was the worst. You feel me? And it wasn't because like yeah. Well, obviously, yeah, that was definitely because I was black too. But it was because they're like, he's not from here. We don't have tattoos in our country. We don't even like seeing people with tattoos in our country. There's some countries where if you have a tattoo, you have to like cover up. You can't show your tattoo. It's just our country is a bit different as far as like their standards and like Dubai I've been to Dubai as well and like out there it's just two completely different worlds like the stuff that they don't tolerate is just like 
it's it's just two completely different worlds again. Like it's it's not a comparison, and they take it and they're very strict about it. They they look at it like if you did something in their country that they feel is disrespectful, it's like you're disrespecting their country. It's not even like you're disrespecting, you know what I mean, or just living your life and making a mistake. They're like, nah, you came here and you disturbed the Swedish peace or the Swedish way. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they're like, they're looking at it more like, yeah, that. I know it's, I know that's the case in Dubai. Like if you do something in Dubai and you're an American, they're, they're going in on you. Like until it gets clear that you're an American or something, and, you know, maybe the embassy steps in or something. But let's say I was in Dubai and I got caught smoking weed. You feel me? Like, you mean, you know what happened to futures mm-hmm. DJ Esco 56 nights. Like, yeah. And that was for residue. <laughs> you feel me? Like it's not a, it's not a joke. Like, they don't really, <laughs> They don't look at it like that out there, and it's and they'll probably see that you're an American. Like, oh, he's an American. No, we ain't paying him no mind. We'll we'll see what happens. He probably thinks he's better than us. We know how they Whoa. are. You feel me? They have like this preconceived notion of what Americans are like already. So, in most places I've been. So, so Trump getting like Kanye and Kim Kardashian to spearhead this initiative to get him out. That's just a paper thin attempt to to try to get in good with black people then because it's. He, they're making it seem like it's about race, but it's more of just an American thing. I, I think it's both, honestly, because black people everywhere are hated. So that's we're not going to act like that's not the case. But what about misunderstood? Because if you go to Korea or Japan, there's not that many black people out there. So maybe it's just they're no, not. There, there's, there's black people in Japan. I've been. But they're not like from there. I don't think they're from there, but I've been to Japan and there's black. Like when I was there, nobody was really staring at me in Japan. It wasn't like that. Like, Japan is an amazing place. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. Japan is amazing. But they're not, like, when I was in Japan, I don't really, I feel like I thought I was going to experience racism there, but, or maybe I wasn't really paying attention to experience, or maybe I was caught in the moment, but what I was seeing, it was a really nice place. They they actually appreciate hip-hop culture a lot, you know what I mean? Like, a lot more than the United States does, now that I think about it, like, 90s hip-hop era. There's people that actually walk around still with baggy clothes and cassette tapes and like it's part of their culture out there. They take like they take it serious, breakdancing, all that. So I would say they they they're to an extent they have a certain respect for, you know, black people. You know, the people who are into that type of culture. But I'm sure I'm sure everywhere, everywhere there's, you know, racism against black people. It's just the way it is. Well, I mean, I appreciate getting your take on that. Um, because it is a heavy subject. Uh, but we'll, we'll now nah, you can hear that all in my music. Like that ain't nothing. <laughs> yeah, you know what that is. I mean, that's a good segue. I mean, we could talk about the you know elevators has been out for like a year and a half almost. Uh, Brady, the guy who does those YouTube videos where he plays bass while an MC flows, I didn't know that he was actually in the business, and he's like he's polishing your EP right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, can you spill the beans on anything that you know? Is this the black and white vibe, or, or is this another project? Nah, 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 nah. The black and white vibe is the album, and um, this one is an EP that I did specifically with Brady. Ah, okay. Yeah, so I just been piling stuff up. I got like fifty singles in the stash, plus this EP, plus my album. So it's like people think it's been a quiet year. A lot of like my fans have been saying, "Yo, you didn't drop nothing since last year, like album wise." But I got a lot of stuff coming. You talked about book recommendations. I have on my website, I put different artist recommendations and you said you still read. Yeah. Can you give me a, maybe a book you read and I'll, I'll post it for everybody to kind of, uh, they can buy it themselves. Well, I actually got books right in the corner right here. This book right here, uh, Dan Charnis, the big payback. This is more like the history, like the business of hip hop. Um, it's literally like a real big book, just about 
a bunch of, you know, deals people had. People like Chris Lighty, Eric B., Chuck D's in his book. It's pretty much just talking about, you know, the industry and how people were introduced in hip-hop scene to deals and messed up deals, good deals. They got people like Diddy in here where they're talking about how he capitalized on his situation. Things like that, you know, 50 Cent. You know, the right business, the wrong business. Then I got the Torah to knock, the Prophets writing, uh, Stone Edition. This is um, 24 books of the Bible, pretty much newly translated and noted. And I just read this more so to keep a moral ethic, you know, so I know like, so I just don't become, you know, tainted with everything around me. I could just know how to move like a prophet. <laughs> when I started this podcast, I didn't realize the correlation between great reading material and the artists that I interview. A lot of them are readers and I'm trying to get my audience to read. I'm trying to read a lot more. So I do appreciate that. Yeah, no doubt. Man, the, the last thing that I wanted to ask, man, because I, I saw one of your latest videos and you had an Incubus cover hanging above the door frame. <laughs> uh, I'm an Incubus fan. I know you're an Incubus fan. I literally just got a Make Yourself tattooed on my wrist. I'm a morning view guy myself. Make you yourself like morning sorry. view more than make yourself. Yeah, for me, it's the most cohesive album, in my opinion. What? I'm, <laughs> I'm a morning view guy. That's crazy. To me, make yourself is like the perfect album. Meet me in outer space. We could spend a night. Watch the earth. Literally, that album is probably like, I got Michael Jackson's Bad Album, Michael Jackson's Thriller Album, and Make Yourself. Make yourself the lyrics. It's not really like for me. I love the guitar um, strums on certain songs. I love the hip hop element of the scratching in certain songs. And to me, it still sounds like punk. It don't really sound like they're trying to go too commercial yet. Like they were trying, but it wasn't at that point yet of Morning View. Like Morning View to me sounds a bit more commercial. It's very cohesive, but I feel like this was still when they were like young Incubus, just having fun with it still. With Make Yourself, man, that album just, like, it, it molded me kind of. So maybe that's why I'm a little biased towards it. But Like we're all attached to the memory. Yeah, yeah <laughs> literally. Like, yeah. But the lyrics of it are so, like, deep and strong still to me that I got to keep it at uh, number one for me. All right, man. Well, uh, as we wrap, this episode won't go out for a couple weeks. So when it does come out, it'll be right before your birthday. So please let me have the honor of wishing you a happy birthday, brother. I appreciate that. Definitely. Thank you. And before we get out of here, uh, I want everyone to be on the lookout for that EP. Be on the lookout for the full album coming after that. Catch Bishop on NBA 2K20. But we all know real Gs are on PlayStation, not Xbox. Sorry, bro. Uh, (laughs) Everybody that plays on PlayStation, y'all are garbage. I will will destroy every one of you in any game. (laughs) Bro, my friends, all of them at PlayStation, right? This is Modern Warfare 2 era. I'm going to leave you with this story. Modern Warfare 2 era. They, I'm on Xbox fiending. My boys is on PlayStation fiending. 
So one of my boys, his name is Brian, he ends up talking crazy, like, yo, bro, come play me, 1v1 me. I'm like, bro, you're going to get destroyed. Like, you don't understand. Like, <laughs> it's a different breed of gamers over here. Like, we take this serious. Long story short, end up playing him at his house, 1v1, destroyed him in his own crib. 2K, I fly out to Cali all the time. These guys play PlayStation. They try to challenge me. Bro, play me in 2K. I'm about to 21 you. We get on the sticks. These guys end up asking for a rematch in the end. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say, uh, Xbox gamers don't play like that. We, we serious about it. You know, I remember in college, I don't know how it is on X. I haven't owned an Xbox in a while, but I had one in college. And I remember you could change your status to how hardcore of a gamer you were. So you could put, I'm casual. Oh, yeah, or like I'm... casual, recreational, yup, yup, yeah. yup. <laughs> nah, that ass, that ass, you could. I forgot about that too. That's funny. Yeah. I was on the 360 with the original dash the 360 with the blades yeah man hey thanks for being here man the the way you check things off your bucket list this is definitely one of mine man having you here with me man i appreciate it word man i definitely appreciate that as well